0: Hey everyone, it's Raghu. I'm back with Mind Rolling. Got a special series coming up here, which is why I'm doing this little intro. And uh, well, December 22nd last year, Ramdas left us, and uh, I decided I wanted to get with a few of his friends, our friends, particularly Jack Cornfield, Sharon Salzberg, and. Joseph Goldstein, and just chat with them about their experiences meeting Ramdas, and throughout the years, the, uh, the the ways in which they came together with him. Some beautiful stories. I'm so happy to share this. I really am. And so, uh, first up is going to be Jack, and then Sharon, and then Joseph. Over three weeks, just over this period of time that Ramdas left last year. And that's my little uh, commemoration uh, on mind rolling. But also, I want to let you know that on December 22nd at 3 p.m. Pacific time, we have uh, a program honoring Ramdas that's presented by Love Server Member Foundation and Neem Karoli Baba Hanuman Ashram in Taos. And uh, it is a benefit to support the Taos ashram as they are closed and uh, really could use the support. So all donations that you make will go exclusively to the ashram in Taos. So this program will have several movies. One is this uh, wonderful film called Evolution of a Yogi that was done in the late 60s into 1970 at Ramdas's father's farm in New Hampshire. Uh, And then we just finished a film called Moments of Joy and Wisdom. It's Ram Dass in Maui over the years, over these last 15, 16 years. Wonderful, poignant moments and a lot of moments with the people that he, uh, teachers and friends that he worked with over the years, many of whom uh, you have seen on Be Here Now Network and or heard on Be Here Now Podcast Network, as well as seen in various movies and other events that we have put on, uh, workshops and so on on Ramdas.org. And uh, it, it's, uh, it's you know, just really poignant vignettes of Ramdas in Maui. I think you're going to love it. Uh, I loved working on it. It uh, just brought me back into that enormous heart of Ramdas. Uh, so we have that. We have Krishnas, who's going to be doing some chanting and talking a little bit with me and Mirabai Bush. And then we've got Rameshwar Das, who wrote this with Ramdas, this wonderful memoir that's coming out on January 12th called Being Ramdas. Go to beingramdas.com, by the way, and please pre-order the book. It'll help us a lot in terms of uh, making more of a presence, particularly on Amazon. Uh, and when you go to this site, you'll be able to see X, ex- read excerpts and see wonderful pictures. There's some great little audio bits of Ram Dass, and a way in which to share your own experience with Ramdas over the years and what he meant to you. Uh, so, uh, it's a wonderful website and, um, uh, happy to present this program. Now the program, the Neem Karoli Baba movie, which it will end with, uh, is this great, great footage from India of Maharaji and different places that he was, and interviews and so on, uh, done by Japna Tulsi? That will only be available a couple of days after following the uh, the movie. Uh, sorry, following the uh, program honoring Ramdas on the 22nd. The other uh, movies will be available uh, at least for a week or two. I'm not quite sure, but check in, make sure you're. Got your email address in ramdas.org where you get all this information and invites to all of the wonderful offerings that the Love Server Member Foundation uh, brings to the table. So here we go. First up is Jack Cornfield, And then next week, it'll be Sharon Salzberg's stories and then end with Joseph Goldstein. So happy to uh, share this with you. Thanks for being here. This is mind rolling on Be Here Now Network. Go to beherenownetwork.com. Thank you. Hi, it's Raghu Marcus, and I am back. Thank God. It's, uh, Sharon Salzberg is here with me. Sharon, welcome. Was,
1: Thank you so much.
0: Yeah, and I was just going to say, you know, one of the great things Sharon teaches is always remember you can return. From wherever it is that you got lost, in whichever way you might have gotten lost, and so the good thing is for me, I get to return with you on a fairly frequent basis, so it makes me happy, Sharon,
1: yeah, not frequent enough. We should do this more often, yeah,
0: well, we are we are gonna um, okay, so this is about our mutual love interest, Ramdas, and uh. I it's just uh, sharing with me of course you and I have shared some of this over the many 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 years uh but for those uh, this is for those who haven't heard your particular story uh maybe you can start with uh, we did you take a plane or a boat to india how did you get there
1: <laughs> neither i went the classic way for those times i took a plane to uh london took the orient express train across Europe, oh. and then went by uh, bus and train and truck and God knows how. You know, it was like the overland route to India. Were you alone? No, I was with a small group of friends. Oh,
0: and big you, journey! I yeah. mean, I
1: was—I was eighteen years old. I'd never even been to California before. Mm. I, I was a, a New Yorker, and I went to school in Buffalo, New York, and that was kind
0: of it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. Now, uh, the interesting part is the people you met, I think, in what, Delhi? Did you meet some of the people? Or you, I met you some have-
1: of the, well, what happened was I went uh, with this kind of burning desire to learn how to meditate and going to school in Buffalo, you know, 1970s, day, I looked around and I didn't see it anywhere because it wasn't anywhere that I could find,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I created this independent study project for the university asking to go to Indians and learn how to meditate. So they said, okay. So my my urgent wish was for something really practical, very direct. I wanted to know the how-to. And it was really hard to find when I, once I got to India. I didn't know where to go, for one thing. Um, uh, the story I tell, which is true, that uh, in Buffalo, maybe three or four days before I was gonna leave, Trungpa Rinpoche came to give a lecture, not at my university, but at another college in town. And I think it was his first trip to the States. I don't know who did his tour, you know, but he ended up in Buffalo, New York. And uh, he asked for written questions at the end of his talk. So I wrote out the question, something like, in three or four days, I'm leaving for India to learn how to meditate. Do you have any suggestions about where to go? And he had this big pile of questions in front of him and he pulled my question out. And he read it out loud and he was silent for a moment. And then he said, I think you had perhaps best follow the pretense of accident. Mm. And that was it. I think you had perhaps best follow the pretense of accident. No monastery addresses, no handy guidebook, you know. Just follow the pretense of accident. That's exactly the way it happened.
2: Mm. So
1: we started out in Dharamsala once we got to India, (laughs) one of those many weeks later. because I knew the Dalai Lama lived there and I'd heard he was a Buddhist, you know. So I thought, oh, you know. and There was a great Lama uh, teacher teaching meditation classes, but it was just one of those situations where something just doesn't work. Like I'd go to the class and they say, oh, the translator had to go to the dentist who's at the other end of India, come back in two weeks. You know, so I'd <laughs> come back in two weeks and then Lama wasn't teaching. I mean, it just didn't happen. And so... I was actually in a Tibetan restaurant in Dharamsala when I overheard a conversation about a Hatha Yoga conference that was going to happen in New Delhi. So I thought, oh, I'll go there. That's where I'll meet my teacher. So I went there and it was like this absolutely dismal event where the low point was these yogis and swamis being up on the stage, pushing and shoving against each other to be the first to grab the mic and speak. (laughs) So that was like totally desolating. But Dan Goleman, for some reason, I have yet to find out why, he was giving a paper, he was giving a talk at that conference. Hmm. At the time, he was a a young graduate student studying uh, meditation, and he gave a talk. And at the end of his talk, he said, you know, I'm going, uh, in a few weeks to this town called Bodgaya, uh, where there's gonna be this intensive ten day meditation retreat. It's like an immersion course. Ramdas is gonna be there as a student. And I knew about Ramdas because of my college, you know, like he came and gave a lecture or something like that. And um, and he said, you know, this this teacher who's this in Goenka is kind of famous for uh, really emphasizing like the how to. You know, it's very practical, very direct. And I had the thought, That's it. That's what I want. And it was exactly it. So <laughs> Danny actually brought me to my first meditation yeah. retreat. And then still in, in New Delhi, same period, um, I was I had traveled with you know, some people from Buffalo and uh nearby Bush at the time Linda was a graduate student in Buffalo and Krishna her then-husband at the time, John, uh, was also in Buffalo, and uh, they had gotten to India 12 hours before, something like that, and they (laughs) spent the night in some hotel in New Delhi, slept, got up in the morning, walked outside, and these friends and I were there, and and they recognized him, one of the guys, and and they came up to him and said, aren't you from Buffalo? And he said, yeah, And, and... we said, what are you doing? You know, we just got here. We said, oh, we're going to go to this meditation course in, in uh, Bodh Gaya. And they said, oh, maybe we'll go too, <laughs> which was totally the magic of the time. It was all the pretense of accident. Yeah. You know, it was incredible. just like, oh, who do you run into?
0: Incredible. Wow. So there you are at the course in Bodh Gaya, and that's when you first met Ramdas. Right. Mm-hmm. What was that like?
1: Uh, it was really interesting, you know, because um, uh, Mirabai was there, then Linda Krishnas was there, then Jeffrey, um, and Ramdas was there. He was already Ramdas, you know. He'd
2: yeah. been
1: to India before. He'd already been fired. He'd met Maharaji. He'd taken on this new role in life, and um. <laughs> And I realized that we treated him like the patriarch. He was the adult, you know. He was mature, and uh, he'd had a life. He'd he'd done all these things. I was eighteen years old, and and looking back, it was so funny because I thought, oh, he was like thirty nine or something like that. We thought he's ancient, you know. (laughs) He was just like. um, And while we were there, the first box of Be Here Now arrived. You know, been so due to, OGIS, to see, actually. We, yeah, we yes. got to see it with him. You know, like the mm. um, and he he was just like, those courses were not silent. They were they were silent days and silent periods, so we weren't actually breaking the rules. You know, but uh, we used to sit and just talk about things. You know, like the breath. <laughs> it was all so simple in a way and so powerful. Because it was such a tremendous self discovery, and um, you know, so my first impression of him was probably he was extremely sophisticated compared to the rest of us.
0: And but he had those eyes, right? Yeah, those eyes. The,
1: he had that voice, and,
0: you know. Yeah, yeah, and that uh, caring. Is what, you know, I got when I, when I first did, was that there for you? Somebody who looked like they were caring more than about just themselves, perhaps.
1: You know, that's hard for me to say because I only cared about myself. <laughs> you know, like, and, and uh, I guess probably because he was sort of further along. I mean, I had gone there because of significant psychological and emotional pain, you know, and,
2: mm. Mm-hmm.
1: As did many of us, and so th- there wasn't really the room yet to, you know, there was a certain amount of healing that had to happen before there was enough energy to kind of notice. Oh, there are other people. <laughs> <laughs> so they're not doing that well either, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think that's a natural progression along the path of of liberation.
0: Mm-hmm. And, sen- and then, and uh, then, of course, after a few a few uh, ten day courses. There's the famous story, which uh, Joseph narrated a little bit when uh, he was talking about his experiences. Uh, And so yet, what was that whole thing, getting on that bus or not getting on that bus? And yeah, what was that uh, like?
1: Well, it was extremely intense altogether for us. You know, Gwynke taught these 10-day retreats, and then maybe there'd be a three or four-day gap before the next retreat. Uh, during one of those gaps, Danny went off to uh, see the Kumbh Mela and Al-Habad, you know, and came back. And <coughs> and then there was just another retreat. And during those courses, uh, Goenka's teacher in Burma died. Uh, it was just like very intense, all of it. And um, at one point, there was this conversation with Ramdas and. A group of people at the retreat about going to find Maharaji, going to find Himkali Baba, and no idea where he was, you know, and um, and uh, for many of us, there was a choice point, you know, do you want to get on the bus and go touring around looking for him, or do you want to stay and meditate or go somewhere else, you know, I suppose, because there, you know, there were Tibetan teachers, there were so many teachers around, and and I remember thinking, first of all, the practice was very profound for me, and I wanted to continue mm. doing it. But I also thought, I don't even know where he is. You know, like, <laughs> I don't want to wander around in a bus, you know, like mm. looking for someone they may never find him. Mm. So once I was teaching a Christian class, and I said, how long was it? They said, mm. oh, 10 hours. <laughs> you know? so I was like, yeah, thank you. And, um and I remember standing there waving goodbye to the bus. Really? You know? Wow. I'm like, bye, bye, guys. <laughs> and the next time I saw everyone, you know, Jeffrey was Krishna Dallas and Linda was Mirabai. And I mean, Ramdas was still Ramdas.
0: Hmm. And um, next time, uh, being with him would have been back in America. I
1: think it was America, Uh, and then uh, I came back in 1974. It was in Boulder then in 1974 because um, uh, Joseph may have talked to you about this, but he really gave Joseph his first teaching job, Mm. which is at Naropa, and uh, set Joseph on the course for the rest of his life, you know, and our lives. And um, I got to New York. Joseph had been back about six months already, and. I knew he was in Boulder, and our joke was that um, of this sort of community of friends uh, within the Buddhist circles in India. Joseph was the only one in America with a job and an apartment, so we all decided to go visit Joseph. <laughs> yeah. And he was in some like really crummy student housing that Naropa was providing, and it was a one-bedroom apartment. And literally at one point, nine of us moved in, <laughs> and we were just like sleeping everywhere. And Ramdas was there. Because Joseph was really his teaching assistant. Joseph um, apparently had stopped at the Naropa office and he was traveling with some friends going cross country. And he had stopped there and said, You know, I lived in India for seven years. My teacher told me to teach. I have just started teaching meditation in the Theravadan tradition, Southern Buddhist tradition. Uh, Would you like me to teach here in the summer? And they said, No we already have Jack Cornfield. We don't <laughs> know the Taravadan when we didn't know Jack at the time. And so, uh, Joseph went on to Berkeley where he ran into Ramdas, who invited him to go to Naropa and be his teaching assistant. Yeah. So yeah. that's yeah, how Joseph story. started, you know? And so I, I was visiting Joseph and he got invited to teach the next summer session. And I stayed on and became his teaching assistant. Mm. And then, uh, you know, so that was the, the next time seeing Ramdas when he really crafted this life for us, you know, unbeknownst to everybody mm-hmm. by telling mm-hmm. Joseph to teach and giving him a way to do
0: it. And you, you were at Nar- Naropa for the, for the month, were you not?
1: Yeah. Well, I wasn't in there in the very beginning. I was there maybe let's say halfway through the first summer session and then through the second summer session mm-hmm. and, uh, so, I remember those mega courses, those classes that Ramdas was teaching, you know, like a thousand people on the Gita. And Joseph was teaching the little meditation subsection, and Krishnadas was singing, teaching mm-hmm. the chanting subsection. And mm-hmm. he created a universe there, you know, which was yeah. really yeah. fantastic. And that really was the beginning for us. And so, In 1976, we founded the Insight Meditation Society in Barry, and Ramdus was very instrumental in that as well. He he had done courses with us in between, and um, I remember once he was at a course. I wasn't at that particular one. It was sort of like Jack and Joseph and I and a couple of other friends, and we teach in these different configurations, and this was a course with Jack and Joseph and maybe somebody else. Ram Dass said it because he was like so beautiful that way. He would just like sit a course and not walk in like I'm a guru, you know? And, uh, he said something to Jack about, um, it's interesting. He said something like what you're doing is quoting the Buddha and quoting your teacher, quoting all these great saints. And I'm thinking, why am I sitting with you? (laughs) You know? So, Uh which was actually, you know, uh, a very powerful piece of advice because in a way he was saying you need to embody this yeah. and convey it. Otherwise you're referring people to other people, which in a way is humble, you know, and a good thing, but it also can be too much because then it's just like, uh, you're not modeling sort of having um embodied or lived those, those things you're telling a story.
0: Yeah. Right. Exactly, huh, so uh, back to Naropa for a second though did did you interact with Ramdas at all at in, in yeah. at that yeah. time, yeah, and yeah,
1: we were all you know we were all hanging out, and it was all you know it was such an unusual time, like um you know Allen Ginsberg would be by the pool, and Ramdas was around and uh it's the first place I ever saw Birkenstocks. the first place we ever heard of <laughs> Celestial Seasonings Tea, you know. Because we'd been out of America for a long time. We mm. weren't all sure what to expect. Like mm. Coming back it was pretty scary, actually. You know? <laughs> I remember. And, and yet, here it was, just this world that got created, which was really far out.
0: Mm. Did you ever... Um, we were around when uh, any of the encounters with trumpa Rinpoche and, and Ramdas. You remember uh, yeah. You know, yeah. What was that like? I mean I was too uh, in another venue. Not there but on the east coast. Yeah. yeah. What 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 was your take?
1: Um well my training at that point, you know, was much more kind of on Trungpa's wavelength, you know, emptiness and uh very kind of grounded and Ramdas was, you know, Love and light, <laughs> as we used to say. As he
0: used to say, Trump, uh, yeah. he called us all love and lighters. you Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, and uh, it was funny, though. You know, it was, like, extremely amusing. Like, when somebody asked uh, <coughs> Trump Rinpoche what he thought about Judaism, he said, oh, good food. <laughs> you know, he was, like, very, very witty. And, uh, yeah, good <laughs> food. You know, so mm-hmm. the level of their discourse was really fun.
2: Mm.
1: Um, and, you know, you go to one and then you go to the other and then you go to one and then you go to the other and then you hear, mm. you know, what was, what was going on? I mean, it's so funny because these days, uh, all these years later, because we're talking 1974, um, the importance of holding both Is so striking to me, you know, to sort of like look at the suffering and look at the difficulty and and be grounded and look at the possibility, you know, and look at the potential that people have and, uh, you know, the kind of, uh, we would say from the Buddhist point of view, capacity, you know, other traditions might say divinity within, you know, and and needing to hold both. And if you're only with the sort of painful, reality, then you start to despair, you know, and if you're only with that potential and you're totally out of touch with the painful yeah. reality, you're just avoiding a lot, you know, and you're yeah. kind of ungrounded. So,
0: What did you, did you see in Ramdas I mean, those talks were very powerful. I mean, we have all of them and uh, we use them mm-hmm. so much because they're so direct and they, they really re- represent in my mind, um, Heart and discriminating wisdom, mm-hmm. basically, mm-hmm. which all got embodied, and we'll talk about it later, in a bit uh, later, in uh, in Maui when Ram Dass was there, and we we join him every year. Um, but did you see him in action in that time? Did you see all of that developing in terms of the, the kind of teaching that he did?
1: I think I did, in part, because I've always thought of him. As a phenomenal psychologist, mm. you know, which I don't think he gets enough credit for, but he had a kind of very uncanny sensitivity to the human mind and the kinds of trouble we can get into, and the ways we can hold on or cling. And I mean, I saw it over and over again where he could just like, like slice through, you know.
2: Mm. Uh,
1: and uh, so, for all he talked of love and light, you know, and ascending and the divine. He never seemed to lose touch with the real angst. I wasn't about to say suris, but not everyone understands the <laughs> yes, issue, it's, You know, it's a the real angst word, yeah. that, yeah. Know, yeah. that everyone goes through. Yeah. Uh, and it manifested later. It's interesting enough. I'm just reflecting on it now for the first time. For somebody who was a love and lighter, you know, he was the first person I ever knew who worked with prisoners, worked with dying people. Um. You know he was not an avoidant kind of guy, you know, like let me not pay attention to what's really hard, yeah, it's quite very. the opposite,
0: yeah, yeah, very much so uh, so okay, it rolls along seventy six and that's when i m s started and uh I do remember I mean that we all went down and started sitting courses then, but uh yeah, there's such an appreciation uh, from the three of you, basically Jack, Joseph, and yourself, of how he would come on, come in, and be, not be a somebody, even though he mm-hmm. was pushed into that role so much by. Every, uh, do you did did you see any of that or experience any of that when he would come to IMS or other people trying to grab him in that way and him having to to deal with with that? I know it was always very very difficult for him.
1: Yeah, I mean, he was amazing, you know, he came for a long period, he was working on How Can I Help, I think, Mm. was the book he was working on. So he basically did what we would call a self-retreat. There were retreats, programs coming and going coming and going, but he just basically lived here on retreat, pretty much on retreat. But he had this wig for when he'd go out to dinner, you know, it was like really kind of like this big curly head of hair, you know, which was really always fun to try on. And uh, sometimes people would, you know, they're quite overawed or tongue tied, but he, he was, he didn't seem to be buying into that. I mean, that's why he had the wig, you know, mm. so it could be a normal, more normal person. And, uh, he, he was just there, you know, he was living there, um, working, uh, or, you know, there are many times subsequent to that when I don't know, I know you seem to be wanted to go chronologically, but just skip no, ahead. No, you no, no, go ahead. No, 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 um, there's
2: no need for that.
1: You know, we were students together in Burma or in India. Uh, I went to some conference with the Dalai Lama in Dharamsal, and Ramdas was there, not for that, but he was just there. And, you know, watching him take notes or things like that, I think, wow, you know, that's kind of incredible.
0: Mm. Hmm. Yeah, no, he was he was open he was a student his his whole life it's uh yeah that that was but there was definitely a part where with us i mean this i don't know if you even would have noticed but with us us meaning those that spent time with him with Neem Karoli with Maharaji. and then of course when he was back teaching especially in those years in the 70s going into the 80s he was meeting so many people and so many people became students and so many people became friends and so on that he didn't he felt like uh he didn't want to give short shrift i don't mm-hmm. know where that word comes from it's an interesting word mm-hmm. to the people he was now meeting new people in order to um to kind of be the 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 friend that we had back in India mm-hmm, and the mm-hmm. way in which he would interact uh with us and with Maharaji i mean you know there's so much, like the the famous story uh of course Krishnadas tells it wrong all the time about me <laughs> and uh, yeah, asking how to meditate meditate like christ he was lost in love with everyone that was everything. you that was me you didn't know that you know, yes, you did you did, but he's he's drilled it in, you know he's like that he actually he doesn't say it was him now he says that Canadian guy that's what he says, he's so bad, <laughs> uh, but Ramdas wasn't there that day, and he came back uh that night, actually, and we told him what had happened. We were like God, what I mean, I was just looking for a mantra or something, you know, not that, who could. Maybe you could talk to Maharaji because you have a more convivial uh, sort of relationship, meaning I was scared shitless to say anything in that moment. I was so in awe of, uh, you know, meeting somebody who was more like meeting a computer or something. It wasn't like there was nothing in there. You know, talk about about emptiness. we actually experienced that but uh so Ramdas said fine and and he came and he was the interloculator for that particular experience and he was that in in many many a time but uh as as time went on he it was uh, a hard time he he used to have a bit of a time balancing the people like us that were you know stood naked together in front of the that emptiness shall we say and then everybody was meeting after that yeah.
1: Well, I mean, it's, it's, I'm sure, extremely hard when there's that much projection, at any rate, because you always probably feel you're failing. You know, mm-hmm. you're not living up to the, yeah, hopes and dreams and ideals of somebody. And, and I think that weighed on him, you know, for a while, anyway.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it did. It did. Um, you know, but um, he never veered away, as you said before, of difficulty.
2: Mm-hmm. He just mm-hmm. never
0: did, and yeah, you know, and the, we went through tough times at different times. Old friends and him, uh, and uh, it, uh, but it was. I once, I don't know, I'm telling all these stories. You're supposed to be telling the stories, but...
1: <laughs> no, you have to you have to inspire me.
0: I once was with him. We went out to lunch. This was in the late 80s, early 90s, something like that. And there was a... We used to see each other around the temple in Taos uh, as a... That was a definitive thing that always happened once or twice a year. And... Uh, I remember I had, whoop, I had lunch with him in Santa Fe, and I was bemoaning the fact that there was a real split going on in terms of the satsang around that Hanuman temple. People wanted it to be our kind of clubhouse, and then other people wanted just, hey, this is, we don't own anything here. So, so a lot of um, attention happened <laughs> and i i was ramdas and i were talking about it and i was i said jeez it would be so great if we could just come together and you know and not fight and and be in in that loving place that we have spent time with each other in in days of yore and ramdas said you're a very romantic fellow now aren't you <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and yeah, and yeah, as you mentioned before, how astute he was around the psychology of the yeah, mind. Yeah,
1: he was so astute. He was really.
0: Yeah, and that was something. He was just amazing. I mean, I reflect on it more than I have reflected on it many a time over these ensuing many years. Uh, that I have that thing in me. Yeah. I mean, we all do to some degree, wanting it all to be nice and not getting into the uh into the woods shall we say all right so then go what uh, we i mean i'm only going chrono, chronologically just because it seems like an easier thing to do but then yeah wh- what about going into the 80s and uh at that time uh, i i know you were seeing him at different times and being with him do you recall mm-hmm. Any, uh, yeah, well, I and...
1: started sitting and Joseph started sitting with his Burmese teacher, Sada Upendita, in 1984. And there were a bunch of times that, um, Ramdas also came to sit with him in various places. I remember, uh, we were all in Hawaii together, we were all in Burma together, um, practicing, and so it was like another venue. And then Ramdas had to leave Burma pretty abruptly when his stepmother got sick. and. He made this decision and he knocked on my door and uh he handed me uh like his stash of like M and Ms and you know, like <laughs> the things he had brought to sustain him because he was leaving and he didn't need them anymore and I was staying and I probably would. And uh Upandita had called me Santanandi.
2: The oh, Bliss I don't of know Peace. That.
1: Yeah, it was nice, yeah. And I have all these names, I never use them. Oh, Dass, I'm
0: calling you that from now on, Santana. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and Ram Dass talked about that. He said he was so funny. He said, Nandi, is that like Shiva's bull? You know, <laughs> like, he was always trying to make that cross cultural yeah. reference. Okay. And um he also had uh I don't know if you experienced this, you know, um some sense of um I mean really he was the epitome of a modern seeker. Uh but it was almost more like he, he would say, I don't really have a lineage, you know, I don't have a, you know, because if you were like a Theravada Buddhist, you had, you know, those things. And if you were a Mahana Buddhist, you had those things. If you were a Hindu, I imagine you have other things, you know. And so, uh, and because Neemakurali Baba was so open, you know, and transparent and there was no thing, you know, like yeah. we do this mantra, we do that mantra, you know, yeah, no. uh. He always used to seem a little abashed, you know, like, oh, you know. Yeah. Which, of mm. course, it's like, that's true for all of us. We're all some combination of all these influences. and mm. um, But that would come up sometimes, you know, when we we're in these situations. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and he was so, um, you know, practicing together, there's something that happens even in like that silence, you know, which is, Really extraordinary. When we were in Burma together in 1985, I was there for three months. It was my first really structured guided experience of loving kindness meditation of metta. And um, the way Upandita did what we call interviews, these short meetings with people where he'd hear about your practice and then uh, give you some feedback. We were seeing him six days a week. The way he did that was he had this kind of like living room and he'd be at one end of it. And the person who was describing their practice would be sitting on the floor right in front of him. And if it was your turn next, you'd be waiting in the back of the room. So there was a kind of seamless flow mm. going forward. So the sequence was Ramdas, Joseph, and me. And Ramdas was really interested in me because I was doing loving kindness practice, which very few people did. In a formal way in those days, and so he said he used to wait in the back of the hall, pretending to be taking notes on everything Upandita had told him as a direction, so he could wait through Joseph and then hear me mm, you know fun. and uh, so I, I hear Joseph, I never went early enough to hear ramdas but I did hear Joseph mm. for three months and uh <laughs> You know so uh, it's an incredible way to bond because you're you're so revealed and to your teacher, and uh you can't really say, "Could you get rid of the guy in the back, you know, like <laughs> before I tell you this you know and uh <laughs> and everyone's practicing and um that's quite beautiful
0: mm-hmm. well, and then, uh well, moving into the of course, the, the big event in Ram Dass's life is stroke in the mid-90s. Do you remember where you were when you found out? And I remember in... exactly
1: where I was. Uh, I was here in, in Bowery teaching. Um, and Mirabai happened to be sitting that retreat, so I pulled her out of retreat. Hmm. and And we basically kind of did a vigil. And I was working on, or certainly thinking about this book called Faith, which um, I wrote, Ram um, us the Stroke, and that night figures in the book, because I saw the difference between, we could say, you know, in Buddhist language, we'd say the difference between hope and faith, the difference between attachment and faith, you know, it was sort of like, we all wanted so much for him to be well, and be, as I put it, better than he was before, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's a human response. I mean, of course we want that. But when that becomes this kind of attachment or rigidity, then it was like, what if he doesn't get well? Do I abandon him? Do I not like him anymore? Is that not good enough? Mm. And and, uh, as compared to what I was calling Faith, which was basically accompanying him throughout whatever his journey was going to look like without my own needs for, you know, that reassurance to be predominant. And I learned a lot just watching my own mind in, in that hmm. period.
0: Hmm. Maybe you could write a book, Wise Faith, by the way.
1: um, Yeah, that might have been a better title, actually, <laughs> to begin with. Maybe I can retitle it.
0: Yeah, well, It's like that thing we did a few weeks ago, Wise Hope. Um, when did you see him first after the stroke?
1: I went to visit him in California where he was living. So some months later, he was out of the hospital, out of rehab, Um, and uh, that's in my book too, actually. Uh, I walked into the house, I was the only visitor at that point, and um, the living room was piled high with things people had sent him, you know, like herbs and concoctions and this and that. which is a beautiful gesture of how important he was in so many people's lives. But sometimes from those messages, you could also tell there was something else going on. Like, take 15 drops of this and you will definitely be walking again in two weeks. And and I think, wow, you know, the internal experience of getting a message like that might actually be pressure. You know, like, what if it doesn't happen? Are you gone? what if I disappoint you and I'm not walking? Is that okay? Mm-hmm. So like, where's the love, you know? Um, so the day I was there, he got a bottle of Ganji's water with one of those messages. I like, take 15 drops of this and you'll definitely be walking again in two weeks. And I said, don't drink that. Whatever you do, don't <laughs> drink it. You'll end up with cholera if you drink that, <laughs> you know? And then I saw him, uh, a bunch in the months later, you know, um, as he was, uh, we started doing these retreats as kind of fundraisers for him, like Omega and other places. And it was also an interesting time, a powerful time because he uh, was trying to take back agency and basically control in his life. As one might, you know, after a devastating incident like that, but also um, didn't have the capacity to actually do everything he'd once done. And so we were teaching once at Omega together, one of these benefit retreats, and um, they put us, they have a a lake, you know, and they put us by the lake on this platform, and there was a uh, an incline, you know, like a ramp up to the platform in the back. So like facing the lake for him to go up in his wheelchair. And I'm sitting on a chair and he's sitting on the wheelchair and he's wheeling as he's speaking back and forth and back and forth. And people were petrified. He was going to like wheel right down <laughs> in the back and fall in the lake. Uh, oh. And there, I could just see it, you know, like, ah. And then finally, Gelik Rinpoche, who was this very esteemed Lama, who was also on the faculty teaching this benefit retreat, came up to my chair and crouched down next to me and started whispering, He's going to fall in the lake.
2: <laughs>
1: you know. So Ramna said, What's going on? I'm like, why are you whispering? And uh, his attendant at the time brilliantly stood up and said, Everyone is afraid you're going to fall into the lake. Do you want to put the brakes on or do you want me to tell them to stop worrying? <laughs> And Ramdas thought for a moment he put the brakes on. <laughs> uh, well,
0: yeah. When you when you mentioned you know, hearing about the stroke and then seeing him and then all the people sending stuff to say okay, do this and you'll be well and what if he's not well and so on, and uh, the reality that we speak of so much and I know you've heard Krishnadas talk about it. Ramdas became who he was, pointing mm-hmm. to, mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. a result of this, which is incomprehensible because I was real privy to the amount of pain and suffering, and I have never seen anybody. Uh, I mean, you know, Jack likes to use the phrase "make friends with suffering." Mm-hmm. Well, all, all you all. Buddhists, you like to make that, I, and I think it's a fabulous expression. I've never seen anybody do it, but Ramdas. Yeah, I yeah. mean, where I knew he was doing that, it was an everyday thing, because every day there was some more an, another expression of some kind of pain or suffering, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes small, sometimes large. Uh, yeah, that. It's really uh, staggering. I mean, I'm sure you saw it. So uh, of somebody who was able to transcend this and be there for people on top of it all. I mean, it's one thing to transcend it and have your life and so on, and uh, but not dealing with hundreds of people, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. So uh, then— It was
1: amazing, you know. It was just like sometimes in those retreats in Maui where all these people would come up to him, as you know, during the meal, like, can I have my photo taken with you or just to talk to him? And I think, why is he eating with everybody? You know, like, yeah. you know, he's so tired and, and it's so hard and I can barely handle it, you know? Like, <laughs> and, but there he was, you know? Uh, you know, far better than I, like if you try to get him to withdraw more, He didn't like that, you know? Mm -hmm. He was there for the people. And I wondered, I don't know what you think about this, but one of the times we were in Maui together, he gave this talk and he was talking about um, receiving help. And he said that after the stroke, it was the hardest thing of all, harder than the pain, harder than the aphasia, you know, or being in a wheelchair like actually receiving help he said it was the hardest thing of all and it was the most liberating
2: mm.
1: and he went on to say that you know of course one of his famous books was how can i help and he said maybe i should write a book called how can you help me yeah. and i wondered if that ability to actually receive uh made him just so transparent so that the love was going both ways mm. yeah. you know there was no more blockage anywhere uh, because he was, he was just like made of light and love, which was remarkable.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And the other thing t- uh, you must comment on is the, I mean, all those years that started, God, I don't know, 2006 or something, where we started doing retreats and you started coming out and all those years, And the way that that happened was like a full circle of all of us meeting. And I say that generally. I mean, I I didn't meet you in India. I met you in America. Uh, I did meet Joseph, though, uh, at the course that I went to. And, yeah, the full circle nature of the way in which this was set up by the universe to have that blending of this this incredible practice of vipassana and beyond that really mm-hmm. dealing with impermanence and emptiness and which was uh, combined with that love and light if we want yeah. to say yeah. you know, which is a denigrating thing but in in reality ramdas had that balance and that balance got manifested by virtue of all of us being together uh, in the way that we were all those years. uh, That's pretty, it's pretty powerful, no?
1: Very much so. Mm. So that's why he was the the example (coughs) of something that really became prevalent, you know, became much more cohesive. You know, he would fret that he didn't have a lineage, but in fact, it was the lineage. It's like I said to somebody about myself the other day, I said, because I'm, I'm on Twitter like all the time, and uh, and I said, you know, I know a tiny amount about an enormous range of subjects because I've learned <laughs> everything from Twitter. And they said, oh, you have a modern mind.
2: <laughs> you know? That's cool. So he,
1: in a very much deeper way, he had sort of a modern um, spirituality. This is what it actually looks like.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and he was able to uh, pretty much, without exception in terms of what I saw, be with people and respond to people from where they were on all of the planes, the psychological plane, the, the spirit plane, soul plane, true nature plane, emptiness plane, love plane. I mean, where everybody, anybody was at, he could respond and that is rare, really, and I th- I think it it's a, it is a reflection of the, of the the lineage that he thought he didn't have, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is to uh, absolutely the first second we were with Maharaji. There's only one 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 subek, you know, that teaching, and that that's pretty much the the lineage uh, the. the the way in which we all uh, were pushed over by an unseen force to Vipassana, right and and that got integrated with uh, uh, further with uh, Tibetan practice and Tibetan teachers, which all you guys have have been with, you know, uh, and uh, so there's a way in which your openness encompasses that as well mm-hmm. which i guess is part of what allows for this blend uh, to, to have happened over all these years and we have uh yeah that's pretty that's pretty graceful it really is and uh yeah so i last but not least i guess whatever whatever ramdas what meant to you in in the deepest part of your growth, your friendship, uh the love that you shared. Yeah, what what where does that all sit with you now? Of course he's gone almost a year.
1: Well, has it been almost a year? Yeah, it's gonna well, be amazing.
0: You know, a few months.
1: <laughs> it's just amazing. Yeah. Um well, I keep thinking about him as a pioneer. Like I said, he was the first person I ever knew who was working with prisoners, the first person working with homeless people, the first person working with dying people. And, um, you know, his message really seemed to be no one should be forgotten. And and this is as spiritual as anything you can do, you know? And mm. uh, I think he's he's the most profound symbol of that in, in my life, you know, that mm. I reflect on.
0: Hmm. Nobody should be forgotten. That's beautiful. And really, the way I relate with it is that first minute that I saw him was was a was a big moment of, of presence because of the way that he could just embrace you, and there was nothing else going on. Not even Richard or Ramdas was going on. <laughs> It was just in the embrace. And and the most telling thing when I said to him once, actually in the last couple of years, you know, Maharaji told you not to say a word about him in America. Full, I knew, he knew, everybody knew that was a gaffe. You know, Maharaji was playing and having a good time. He knew exactly what was going to happen. But what was going on inside your head, Ram Dass, that you, you know, you did not follow that instruction to say the very least and he said well i i couldn't not share it how could i i it was a jewel how could i not share that jewel that's exactly what he said and that is what happened over this span of many many decades and uh it just uh, and after the stroke that the jewel he was sharing became inimitable with himself, I mm-hmm, think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we were all the recipients of it. And the kind of sharing, I'm so, I always, you know, I'm thinking that, you know, we're going to have to try and do one more something in Maui just to honor, you know, what happened over those years uh god willing we don't know what's going on <laughs> on any level now talk about uh, real change the book you just wrote
2: mhm
0: and making friends with that this is a time for it but uh yeah i just look back and the way that we came together and and you know you were there from the very very you were the first person that came uh from
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, from our Buddhist uh, uh, close ones, you and Jack and Joseph. And, of course, Roshi Halifax is there as well. Uh, it uh, I don't know. How the hell you can repeat that one is kind of what I think.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Any last anecdote and that's it. Any anecdote, whatever, any time frame, doesn't matter, that touched you. Just in a moment.
1: Oh, okay. Uh, when when Ramdas was living in uh, that kind of guest house on Larry and Gyrge's property in was it Mill Valley. We were in Marin County. Yeah. And, and we were visiting him once, and, uh, Joseph and I. And, and uh, he was sort of like, you know, I'm just like I'm really tired of people. I'm really tired of...
0: This is pre-stroke or post-stroke?
1: This is pre-stroke.
0: Pre-stroke,
1: right. You know, he said, I'm really tired of people. I'm really tired of, like, you know, having to take care of people. I'm really tired of, you know, the whole thing. So I'm just going to have fun with you guys. We're just going to play. And, you know, it's just going to be, like, a great weekend or something like that. And then uh, his phone rang, and he didn't pick it up. He let it go to voicemail or answering machines or whatever we had in those days. You know, But we could hear the message, you know, so somebody we're going to hear this woman's voice and she was saying, you know, I feel really odd that I contacted you and, you know, I didn't mean to intrude, but, you know, I've been having such a hard time and I don't know if I can go on and live. And his hand went out so fast and picked up that phone and mm. just started talking to her.
0: Mm. Right after you know, that. And it was like after that
1: whole preamble of like, I'm tired, of <laughs> you know, like, it was yeah. just like, it was so fast. Yeah. there he was.
0: I mean, it, boy, oh boy, oh boy, as he used to say, you it's not something you can think about anything, you know, it's so deep, it's so deep inside him for all those years. Uh, it's just uh, amazing, you know, just amazing. Wow, that's so great. Thank you. Well, thanks for the time, Sharon. And, thank you. Um, everybody, we will uh, probably see you soon on uh, the Be Here Now Network. This is Raghu and Mind Rolling, and thank you again, Sharon.
1: Thanks so much.
0: Bye-bye. ¶¶